mean, what's the reality really? It's an illusion by your brain. You perceive the world the way your your programs in your head work. Picture of perfection. We all have an idea what it means to be the best version of me. We have an idea what it means to be the best version of me. And this is the version of me which I'm ready to be proud of and love and accept and present to the world. Uh, now, the reality is usually a little different. If we face the truth, our own truth, if we save, uh, face ourselves the way we truly are, uh, it's going to be hard to uh, to be okay with myself. You know, what if I'm horrible? Mm. What if there are things about me which I can't accept? And that fear that I won't be able to like myself or accept myself, it's one of the reasons why people uh, would rather... Uh, would rather not go down that path. You know, are you are you staying true to yourself or do you betray what makes you you? You know, do you uh, give up certain parts of yourself to fit in, to be uh, liked, to be accepted? That's, that's the question. From Wine Studio, you are listening to The Inspiring Talk a show where I bring the conversations with today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you take your life, business and career to the next level. Are you hiding something from the world? Something about yourself that you don't admire? Something that is a flaw? Something that you are yet to accept about yourself? See. The fact is, we all have some sort of flaw. We all are made of flaws. Yet, we put on the masks. We feel the pressure to put our best foot forward, to show the world how amazing we are. Yet, internally, we struggle with these flaws because we cannot get to the point where we can accept them, where we can love them. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about how you can become flawsome how you can live authentically, how you can embrace yourself, how you can cultivate self-love. And to help us understand this, we have Christina Mund Lakhiani. Christina is co-founder of Mind Valley, and she is a speaker who travels across the world sharing about self-love, compassion, and authenticity. And you will absolutely love this conversation with Christina because she has gone through her own journey of dealing with her own flaws, embracing them and becoming flossom. This episode is for you if you struggle with self-love, if you struggle with confidence and embracing yourself, enjoy the conversation with Christina Mand Lakhiani. Before we begin the conversation, I would like to mention that we are building this podcast to be the biggest personal growth show in India, and that would never be possible without your support. All I ask you to do is simply hit the follow button, and if your app allows, give that five-star rating. The bigger the show gets, the bigger our guests going to be. Let's get started. Christina. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me and thank you for inviting me. Christina, I met you at Life Plugin Summit in 2019 and I heard you talk about authenticity and vulnerability on the stage. And that is one of the topics that's very close to my own heart because in my own journey of self-acceptance and self-love and trying to be as live as authentically as possible, I absolutely love the idea of showing up without masks like talk about. So I want you to talk about what being authentic means in the first place. 
Uh, authenticity is an interesting uh, term because uh, we do not have a definition, a scientific definition to authenticity. And literally anything you take about human existence, you can pretty much trace some kind of science in, say, for example, psychology about that aspect of human existence. Now, when it comes to authenticity, it is not a, a topic research officially. The definition that I give it to it is uniquely mine, or maybe not so uniquely, but it's mine. Uh, and in my book, in fact, I do start with the explanation that there are a lot of buzzwords in the contemporary world, and authenticity is one of those buzzwords. Uh, what I mean by buzzwords is that this is a word which has shot to prominence. A lot of people are talking about it, and a lot of us give very hefty baggage to these words. So the moment you hear the word authenticity or vulnerability, we just mentioned, evokes the whole picture, like a complete picture with all the emotions and, and all the scenarios. Now, authenticity is a buzzword, which makes it a little bit hard to discuss because whenever we talk about it, everybody comes with their own understanding of this word. So my understanding of the word authenticity or the phenomenon of authenticity is that it is your relationship with yourself. Because the, maybe the closest uh, definition of authenticity that we can think of would be in anthropology, which uh, authenticity in which authenticity means being real, being true to yourself, being true to your natural essence, your natural original form and, and being. So uh, in my opinion, when we talk about authenticity in that context in which we're talking right now and our expression of ourselves, it's your relationship with, with yourself. It's uh, literally how honest and transparent you are in your relationship with self. How true to you, are you to yourself? So that's, that's like a shortish definition of it. Yeah. So like you said, how true you are to yourself. Do you think the relationship that you have with yourself, like you said, and how true that you are with yourself impacts how your relationship with other people are? Well, definitely, because your relationship with the world is an essence reflection of your relationship with yourself. So when your relationship with yourself changes, then uh, it will naturally translate into your relationship with the world. A simple example would be that saying, which is actually fairly known saying, hurt people, hurt people. Other people very often things which are dictated by our own experience. For example, somebody says something to you which you take offense about, and then you react to that person. So your interaction with that person has more to do with how you reacted to that person's words. Uh, you know, it's reflecting, but it's first reflecting on you, and then your experience with that translates into how you communicate with the person. So naturally, if you if you come to peace with yourself, it's much easier to interact with the outside world. That question maybe comes a little too early on in this discussion because it does require some groundwork before we go deep into this idea. When I just say that if you learn to be accepting of yourself, it's much easier to be accepting of the outside world. It's just a very superficial idea. In reality, there's a lot of depth to understanding that uh, your relationship with the world is in essence just the reflection of your relationship with yourself. So you mentioned that the general understanding of authenticity is your relationship with yourself and being the truest version of yourself, like who you are at the core, right? Being true to yourself, but what is your version is a little bit of a philosophical question because we have so many different facets, so we can present different, uh, different sides to the world. Like, I think authenticity is a relationship and like any relationship, it has different expressions. So are you true to yourself when you're at peace? Are you true to yourself when you're angry? Are you true to yourself when you're in stress? So your expressions can be very different. The question is, well, are you staying true to yourself or do you betray what makes you you? 
You know, do you give up certain parts of yourself to fit in, to be liked, to be accepted? That's that's the question. Mm. So, you know, maybe with some examples, you can probably help us understand what deviating from your authentic self can look like. You can maybe take examples, maybe from your own life or, you know, or any example that we all can relate with. Uh, I would translate that question more into uh, along the lines of how do you know that you are being inauthentic? And I wish I knew the answer to that. (laughs) I think you just feel. But uh, a very easy place to start is to listen to yourself talk. That actually reflects quite a bit. So if you have the courage, you can take a diary and carry it around all day. And then every time you you have a self-talk in your head, you just write it down. And then in the evening, you read and you see what are you telling yourself throughout the day. But it's literally a journey. I would, I would say that most of us get lost somewhere in our life. At some point, we start betraying ourselves. And it usually expresses itself in all sorts of distortions. For example, when you need validation from outside world, you do something and you don't dare to toot your own horn unless somebody else says that you've done a good job. Or, you know, when you, when you feel that you, you, you don't trust your own instincts or your own feelings. That usually is an expression of you not being true to yourself or you're betraying yourself. If you're true to yourself, you don't need anyone to tell you that, let's say, your mission is important to you or it's important to the world or that you're doing the right thing. You just know it. You don't need anyone to tell you that. So uh, it's hard to explain to a person that they're lost. It's something that the person needs to realize, but that's the nature of delusion. When you're delusional, you are not aware of that because if you were aware, you would be just lost. You wouldn't be delusional. So being inauthentic in a way is being delusional. And to wake up from that, you just start, you need to start noticing the red flags, the moments when you betray yourself. And then maybe you will make a verdict that, oh, I haven't been true to myself. In my case, it was a a very bizarre uh, experience. I walked into an office and uh, after a trip, so I was traveling and then I walked into an office and a friend of mine said, oh, you're back. I missed you. And without thinking, I said, oh, I missed me too. And when I said I missed me too, that was uh, <laughs> that was uh, like, you know, like a, a vinyls that, that, that was stopped with a screech. I was like, what did you just say? I missed me. So we get lost, but you realize that you are lost. It's, uh, it's pretty much the first step to getting back to, to yourself. So you said writing down your thoughts is the beginning of trying to understand, um, you know. Thoughts, self-talk. It's a little different. You can have uh, random thoughts about things around you or even about other people. I'm talking about self-talk. For example, when you present a project and somebody gives you feedback, how do you talk to yourself? Or we all experience that, I guess. You have an interaction and then the interaction is over and you're still rehearsing your better answers in your head. So this is, this is all self-talk. Like the moment when you blush because you did something which you think wasn't good. What is your self-talk? What do you tell yourself? Or you fail at something. Like I learned to ride a bike at 43. So I remember when I decided that uh, practice makes perfect and I started riding it when I was not yet completely 100% ready, I would lose balance. And that is the moment, you know, you, you've learned something, you fail, what is your self-talk? So that's, that's a little different from just thoughts. So if you write down your self-talk, and we have a lot of that throughout the day, even when you talk to other people, they will ask you something personal and you start explaining yourself. That's how you talk about yourself. But of course, to other people, you probably veil your self-talk and make it a little bit more presentable. But in your head, you're unfiltered. So what is the common fears or the obstacles or the barriers that you have discovered in your own life, interacting with so many people, working with so many people, 
that stops us from being authentic? Surprisingly, even though my book is called uh, The Key to Living a Perfectly Authentic Life, I mean, it's a subheadline. I actually don't talk all that much about authenticity because uh, it is a natural consequence of you sorting out your relationship with yourself. So basically an analogy would be if you're in a relationship, uh, let's say uh, in a marriage and something goes after a while, after you, you've had this romantic period and you decide to get married and you've been committed relationship for a few years, there comes a time when things uh, start getting a little messy and you're wondering how should it evolve. So authenticity is, uh, is the natural consequence of you sorting out your relationship with yourself. So in a marriage, it would be you start talking to another person, you start trying to find out you know, what's going on, how do you feel, how the other person feels, what your common goals are. So you work on a relationship uh, when it's an interpersonal relationship. So we have a relationship with ourselves as well. Only it's one person. It's my relationship with me. Once you start working on it and paying attention to that, then uh, authenticity just naturally comes. I don't set authenticity as a goal in my studies. I uh, talk about about such things as being honest with yourself, being um, kind to yourself. These are the main topics of my research. Uh, and authenticity really starts with self-honesty. You can't be true to yourself if you don't know what it means to be yourself. So to learn to be true to yourself, you really need to know who you are. And for you to know who you are, you need to start being honest with yourself. And uh, that's a very tricky question because uh, when I ask people how honest are you with yourself, most people would say, they are on a scale from zero to 10, somewhere between eight and 10. Most people would say that. But to start talking about honesty, we have to be honest about the concept of what, what honesty really is. The thing is that, as I said, you know, being inauthentic is in a way being uh, living in a delusion. And we all live in a shape and form of a delusion because that's, I mean, what's the reality really? It's an illusion by your brain. You perceive the world the way your, your programs in your head work. So, so we, we do live in an illusion in essence. So to, to start this journey back to authenticity, you have to learn to be honest with yourself. And that is a scary thing. And it's scary for two main reasons. Reason number one is that we're afraid if we face the truth, our own truth, if we save, uh, face ourselves the way we truly are, uh, it's going to be hard to be okay with myself. You know, what if I'm horrible? What if there are things about me which I can't accept? And that fear that I won't be able to like myself or accept myself, it's one of the reasons why people would rather not go down that path. And the other reason is that very often when we find out the truth about ourselves, we find out that our life is not what we want. Uh, so there are two reasons why people are afraid to go on that path. One is that they, they're worried that if they know who they truly are, they won't be able to love themselves. And the second one is that if they find out who they truly are, they will have to change the life necessary. So one of the things that, you know, you also talk about on your book is what I could also get from what you just shared is the fact that the image that I have created of who I am, or maybe the idea of who I should be that we hold dearly. And the fact that, hey, you know what, if I go down the path, like you said, to understand who and, and be completely honest about who I am. And if there is a mismatch between who I think I am versus who I am in reality, and, uh, you know, you say that the bigger the difference between who you think you you know want to be or and who you are it's difficult to love yourself right yes that's exactly what happens and the question is not uh, what will happen if you find out what you truly are is not what your aspiration is you are not because you would 
aspire to be something else if you were that. The question is, how do you deal with that gap? And very often uh, lying to self or lying to the world in general starts uh, because your idea of what reality should be doesn't match what reality really is. So we fill that gap. And what you're talking about is, uh, is that picture of perfection. We all have an idea what it means to be the best version of me. Uh, so it's a little more common to women to consider be perfectionist. Men, men express it slightly differently. But uh, generally, we, we have an idea what it means to be the best version of me. And this is the version of me which I'm ready to be proud of and love and accept and present to the world. Uh, now, the reality is usually a little different. So what do you do with that uh, gap between the picture of perfection and, and your reality? And are you willing to love yourself before you reach that picture of perfection? And I come back to my favorite analogy uh, of relationship with other people because it's easier for us to understand it uh, on the example of relationship with other people. When you fall in love with someone for the first time, uh, usually we have, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, we have an idea what it means to make someone our ideal partner. So when we fall in love with someone, what happens, and biology, of course, helps us along because we need to, <laughs> we need to reproduce. <laughs> so what happens is that when we see that perfect person who matches everything in our subconscious picture of a perfect partner, we start ticking all the green boxes. Okay, that person and this, this and this. And then if something doesn't, um, is not quite right, we either explain it away or excuse it. We ignore the red flags. And in the very beginning, when we are falling in love, it happens because our biology is wired to help us along to fall in love. So what happens is that we actually fall in love with an ideal, not a real person. Almost all the time, whenever you're infatuated, you're not really infatuated with the real person. You're infatuated with your idea of a perfect partner. That's how it works. That's biology. And of course, the real person is a little different. And then after a few months, I'm not sure on the exact timing, but after a few months, when your hormones calm down a little bit, you start seeing the person for what they are. You've already formed a relationship. So biology doesn't need to trick you uh, because you are about to reproduce probably with that person. And you start seeing the person not as an ideal picture of your ideal partner, but as the real person. And you really have uh, a choice. Uh, are you willing to love that person with their imperfections? Because now you see the imperfections. Now you see the red flags. Or you're going to be disillusioned and walk away. And that's the same with your relationship with the self. There is a picture of perfection and that's the picture you're willing to love and ignore the red flags and only notice the, the green check marks. Uh, now, if you see the discrepancy be between the, the picture that you're willing to love and the real person, you have exactly the same choice. Are you willing to love the real person with their red flags or you're going to be disappointed? Only you can't walk away from relationship with yourself. This is what I <laughs> Mm, I think that's beautifully shared. Now, flossom is the word that you've given for the name of your book. So what does that even mean? <laughs> it means that uh, we are imperfect. And that's, uh, that's the best part about it. <laughs> it is uh, really about uh, thriving in your imperfections, realizing that perfection is not the goal. You have your dragons. Uh, and um, What are dragons? I, I like to call them dragons because they're a little bit more uh, poetic than uh, some aspects about you which you feel ashamed of. <laughs> These are the things, uh, maybe your characteristics, maybe some patterns that, uh, that, that are typical to you. But, uh, you know, those moments when you feel that you're not worthy or you're not perfect, those things 
you uh, want to change about yourself to be the perfect version of you, the real you very often. So we all have our dragons, we all have our experiences, our mistakes, our things that made us cringe and, and shrink and feel less than worthy. So it is just natural, it's human. So being flawsome is about recognizing your imperfections and uh, recognizing that you are who you are, not just because of all your good intentions and aspirations, but also because of your imperfections. And can you uh, choose uh, to see those imperfections as just a natural part of you and, and find your strength in them or maybe your unique value in them? Because the, ultimately it is about thriving with your imperfections, not despite them, but with and maybe even because of them. And don't you think it requires a lot, a lot, a lot of self-love for you to accept your imperfections and then say that I'm going to thrive with my imperfections? It's uh, it's not all that much. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, you need to love yourself. Yes, <laughs> you need to learn to love yourself. Uh, it's uh, you need really you need three qualities. One of them is for sure courage because uh, it is a journey which is perilous. You will need. Is it the courage to accept yourself or? put yourself out the way you courage. are. Courage in all the aspects. I mean, if you're brave, you're brave. You're brave in your thoughts and your aspirations and your actions. So you need courage. And usually I bring it up last. Uh, somehow today it came out first. You need to be honest with yourself. That's what we were talking about because how can you love yourself if you don't know who you are? And you can't know who you are unless you're honest with yourself. And you need kindness. So honesty and kindness to go hand in hand. Loving yourself is... Uh, is an accomplishment in a way. It's a practice and an accomplishment. And uh, in our contemporary world, it's a little uh, challenging because we don't even know how it looks. What does self-love look like? Uh, I know that we struggle with self-love uh, and by we, I mean contemporary societies because, well, statistics shows that 85% of adults uh, have low self-worth. Self-worth is uh, very closely tied to self-love, although it's not completely self-love, but you can't love yourself unless you have self-worth. So 85% of people are struggling with self-worth. And you don't even need statistics. It's uh, sufficient to go on social media and you see how we struggle with self-love. So um, it is a little more complicated, but what's easier is to learn to be kind to yourself. That's much easier. Got it. So for you to embrace the journey of flossom and uh, like you said, thriving with your imperfections, what are, if we were to lay down a steps, I'm, I'm sure it's way more complicated than uh, just simply like, hey, Christina, give me like three step process to become flossom. Uh, I know it's way complicated than that, but at least like what is the starting point? Uh, we have in parts, bits and pieces we have covered, but maybe you can say, that, okay, this is what you can do as a starting point. I want to say from the start, it's not complicated. It's, uh, it requires time and commitment. And I don't think that uh, anything is, uh, is incredibly complicated. It's more about, are you, are you willing to spend that time and, and are you willing to commit to that journey, to commit to your relationship with yourself? Are you going to give up <laughs> and, and go, go the familiar route? So how, how to start, you mean? You start with awareness, like with anything, personal growth and transformation. Everything starts with awareness. You have to start noticing what's going on. Once you start noticing what's going on, then the process begins. And yeah, it's, as I said, it only requires some patience and commitment. And it's step by step, uh, really, uh, to learn to thrive with your imperfections. That's where the courage comes back. So let's say you have the dragons. There's no question. Uh, where you need the courage is to sit with your dragon, come to peace with 
dragon and uh, ask yourself, are you going to make it your curse or your blessing? The dragon is there. You can't, you can't slay it. You can't eradicate it. I mean, you may try, but you'll suffer if you do. So the best thing you can do with your imperfections is look at them and see how can you live with them and how can you do the best? Because, you know, as Gandalf said to Frodo <laughs> in a famous book, uh, we can't always choose the times when we live in, but we can always choose what we do with the times. So the same with your dragons. You have the dragons. There's no question about that. And you can't always choose your dragons. Yeah, so, sorry to cut you, but those dragons can be all sorts, like we are talking about. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, it could be social. It can be your trauma, it can be your experience, but it can be also certain qualities about yourself. And they, they w there will be certain qualities. Nobody is a, is a perfect human being. I mean, there are really good people, but are they perfect? There's a different question. Uh, I mean, I believe a lot of, almost, I actually think all the people are really good. <laughs> a lot of them just don't remember that. So it's really not about being perfect. And the dragons are occasionally some, some qualities about you. Some people say, I, I lose interest a lot, for example. It's, it's your dragon. Is that a habit which you can eradicate? Or is it part of you, which is just such an integral part of you that you have lived with that all, all your life? So uh, I'll give you a very simple dragon that a lot of women have, perfectionism. And a few years ago, I heard that wonderful phrase, I'm a, recovered, a recovering perfectionist. And I thought, oh, what a wonderful, uh, wise idea. And then I, I was calling myself recovering perfectionist, perfectionist for years until I realized that I can't recover from being myself. So yes, you can work on your bad habits and on your skills, and you can eradicate certain things which are hindering your progress. But if it's a habit, it's one thing. If it's an integral part of you, you can't recover from being you. Uh, people say in our industry, they say, get out of your head. But being overthinker is not just a bad habit for me. It's, it's what I am. It's what makes me me. Can I not just uh, stop fighting it, but actually just admit the fact, okay, that's what it is. How can I live with that? And how can I thrive with that? I think that's that's really powerful differentiation to whether that's a habit or that's just a part of me. Like you said, you for a really long time lived by saying that you are recovering perfectness. So is there a way for somebody to say that, hey, this is a part of me? Because and the reason I'm asking this is a lot of us might beat ourselves up for a really, really long time saying that this is something that I should fix. And which is, again, the other thing that you talk about, right? Personal growth. Is a you know, and that's that's one of the things that you also talk about is fix things, which is not necessarily what you want to do, right? And it's not always possible to fix things, like you said. Sometimes you have to leave with it. Well, usually habits are much more superficial, and they don't define us. And uh, like a very easy example would be smoking. You know, if you give up smoking, are you a different person? Uh, so there are habits uh, which we uh, acquire over time. So, for example. You can be a laid-back person, and I'm using the word laid-back rather than lazy because you can choose your labels, but you know, in the culture of hustling, you may be uh, a little less of a hustler than everybody else. And you might say, oh, no, but I'm just lacking the right, uh, the necessary habits, the habit of waking up early, the habit of, you know, you need to enforce discipline and everything. So are you fighting back bad habits or are you fighting your nature? Here's the question. Now, if you're a laid back person and like myself, I like to have my morning super slow and uh, you spend, let's say, one hour in the morning drinking your coffee and playing games, then this is probably a bad habit you can change. 
for example, if you need that quiet time, just set yourself to 15 minutes because that's that's something which is important for you because maybe you just need to be grounded. Maybe you just don't like starting day too, too quickly and too fast. Now, the laid back aspect of that may be not uh, the question of the habit, but the question of your personality because we are all different people and in, uh, in the society which is ide- idealizing success and uh, has a very strict scenario towards success, it's very easy you know, to fall for ideas that if I'm not like that successful person, then something is wrong with me and I need to be fixed and maybe I need more discipline or more work. But maybe maybe you're just not that person. You know, it's like a, a very funny analogy would be, uh, there was this meme on the uh, internet uh, about a school for animals and the different animals are asked to climb the tree and only like, I do not know, cheetah climbs the tree and everybody else is deemed idiot. We are different. Our personalities are different. And just because you're not like someone else doesn't make you broken. Maybe it's it's just your dragon that you haven't learned to live with or you haven't even learned to accept or uh, acknowledge that you have that dragon. Now, habits are much easier uh, because uh, habits you can change and you, it doesn't feel like you're betraying yourself. You are trying to change something which is integral part of you. You will constantly feel something is wrong and something is off and you will feel unhappy and, and discontent. So a lot of us, we, uh, we don't recognize our nature and we, f- and we fall in the same traps. And then we are surprised that why at the age of 40, I um, experienced midlife crisis and feeling like I'm in a dead end. Haven't I done all the right things? This looks like quite a lot of reflective journey for a lot of you know, us who's listening to this. Christina, when you are of course, you've been in this journey. And when you find yourself in this kind of spot where either you were or, you know, when, even today when you are going through this, when you reflect upon, upon these things, are there some questions that you ask yourself to sort of come with an answer that whether that's true nature of me? And also, you know, the reason I'm asking this is, um, you know, Christina, you know, what occurred to me when you were sharing this is also you know, while it might be a habit or something that I can work on and improve, I can just put it in the side saying that, hey, you know what, this is just part of me. It is who I am. You know, there's, I think, a thin line between. I think it's, uh, it comes from uh, your mistrust towards yourself. We are uh, indoctrinated to think that we are by nature lazy and stupid and bad. So almost every teacher comes at you saying that, no, 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 but you can't trust yourself. I'll tell you this is wrong. And, uh, and what I'm telling you is that you know the answer. You will know exactly the answer when you're taking a mental break because you are just exhausted and overwhelmed versus when you are just being stupid. You know it exactly. You don't need anyone to tell you that now you're being lazy because nobody else knows. Are you really at your edge and you need that break or you really just don't want to start doing things? And, and here's the question is not that you're lazy and you're wasting time playing games and having coffee in the morning. I'm just giving a random example, which I also do sometimes. The question is not why are you being, why are you wasting your time? The question is why are you pushing away or not doing something which you think you're supposed to do? It's, it's okay that you're wasting your time. And that's not really the problem because, and that's the interesting thing. We live in a world which insists that people are lazy, stupid, and bad. And that's so not true. It's so not true. If you find the right motivation, if you find the right meaning, nobody, you will not need iron will and discipline. 
you will get up and you'll do things. And sometimes when you're just too tired, you'll take a break and then you'll know that, okay, I've done enough. Go back to what I was doing. I, I can't uh, guide people to make a distinction between just bad, bad habits and um, integral part of you, but you will know that. Uh, very simply, when I record videos, for example, and I have to rewatch them later, I usually notice uh, my bad habits in my speech. If I say certain words, which I shouldn't be using like this. And this is easy to eradicate, but I'm also, English is my third language. I've spoken Estonian and Russian uh, all my life. I was brought up somewhere else. I learned English when I was uh, a kid, not as a young kid. I was nine. So there is an accent and there are mistakes that I make and I might fret and, and beat myself up for doing that and trying to, uh, to, to acquire, let's say, British accent and, and speak in a way that nobody would notice where I come from. But is that necessary? Is that a bad habit or is just this just part of my journey, which makes me me? So there are things like uh, using uh, words, filler words, or and I have a lot of those, you know, those parasites is one thing and I can eradicate that. And then there are parts of my speech, which, which doesn't make sense to, to waste all this energy on that. So you will know, you will know exactly the difference between you needing uh, your break and you being lazy, between you being ambitious and determined and you being pig-headed idiot, you will know the difference. You will know the difference. Uh, you just have to learn to, to trust yourself. Now, the questions that I ask myself, and I like you, the question that you asked me, because I think that the key to that journey is to replace your judgment with curiosity. Because what usually happens is if you notice something about yourself, you start judging yourself and beating yourself up and being critical, sim similar to what you said, isn't it good? And then you, you're like, yes, I have to be realistic with myself. I have to be critical because then I will have the, you know, the motivation to grow. But that's growth through punishment because you, you shame yourself for not being something else. Now, if you replace judgment with curiosity rather than saying that, oh no, I should be doing that or I should be changing this part about myself, you ask yourself a question. Why am I doing what am I do what I'm doing? You just ask the question why all the time. You wake up in the morning and you don't feel like getting out, out of bed and you ask yourself, why is it? Is that because I'm experiencing something in my life? Is that because that's the way I am? If that's because I can't wake up in the mornings just because I am not a morning person, then what can I do to help myself with that? So you replace judgment with curiosity and you ask, ask, start asking yourself questions. What is happening? Why is it happening? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Can I change it? How can I change it in a way that I don't fight my, myself, but I help myself? You know, the difference between you trying to fight your dragons versus you trying to tame your dragons. No, I really absolutely loved, you know, what you shared there. And uh, like you said, yes, it is. You absolutely know when you are bullshitting and uh, when it's actually the true nature of you that's there. And my takeaway from what you've just shared is trust yourself a little more or try to, like you said, be curious about it and also, uh, you know, trust your own judgment rather than doubting. You can, about you it. can just uh, start with hearing, hearing yourself, even if you're not sure, because it's not like I always know that is that, uh, of course, we, we have questions all the time, but let's say if, if something is recurring, there is a reason. You know, I'll, I'll bring you a slightly different example. Uh, in medicine, there's a condition which is called congenital analgesia. This is the condition when people don't feel pain, physical pain. 
What happens is that uh, people who are born with this condition, they don't uh, live to adulthood because if something happens to their body, they don't feel the pain. So the body doesn't signal about injury or illness. Example would be you can touch a hot surface and because you don't feel pain, you won't remove your hand and obviously it hurt. So people with uh, congenital analgesia do not survive to adulthood. Now, we live in a world which is plagued with emotional analgesia, and I call it emotional analgesia for a reason. We feel emotions, and rather than asking ourselves, you know, what's the cause of that emotion and how can I change it, we don't like them and we try, we we pop painkillers in essence. You know, don't feel, don't feel the uncomfortable. Don't face the uncomfortable because we demonize certain emotions. So if you feel lazy, Oh, it's not, it's not that you're feeling lazy for a reason. And I do not know why lazy is such a big topic right now, but maybe because, <laughs> because I know that a lot of, a lot of young men are huge hustlers. But let's say if you feel lazy, rather than asking yourself, why am I feeling this way and what causes it? We immediately give a diagnosis. Oh, you're lazy and you should be punished. You should uh, fight it. So pop a paracetamol, stop feeling it. Get excited. Go do something. Get excited. So uh, we we uh, brush through those unpleasant emotions. So, for example, you feel frustrated, or angry, or stressed, or scared. Rather than facing that unpleasant emotion, what we do is that we pop painkillers. We do things so that we don't feel them, and we move on. And that is what causing our emotional analgesia. So rather than paying attention to emotions which we don't enjoy and asking ourselves the very necessary questions, what is the cause of that emotion? We try to just ignore the pain and move on. And the same thing happens. Our lives deteriorate from undetected trauma. So does that mean we need more of emotional literacy? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And to stop being afraid of feeling whatever it is and to stop judging. feeling That's another thing. For example, you reach your goal and you don't feel ecstatic. You feel restless or you 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 fail uh, you fail something and you can't even uh, sit down with your shame for a moment or with your pain you have to immediately remedy it you know we immediately talk about bouncing back do we talk about staying on the ground and uh, and staying with that discomfort and asking why is it happening and what does it signify what does it mean about me about my character about my values we don't we don't we're not taught what to do with unpleasant emotions that's why when you wake up in the morning and you feel less than, you start immediately curing yourself without even asking what's the cause of my ailment. If it's bad mood or uh, extreme anxiety and stress, rather than asking why am I feeling this way, we just say, oh no, I shouldn't be feeling this. And this is what sh- I should do to not feel like this. No, I love the idea about, you know, being curious and trying to dig deep and pick in rather than just finding like you said, you know, pills to sort of pop in and then just move on. And rather than giving ourselves diagnosis all the time. Are there any reflective questions that you find yourself, uh, you know, asking yourself when you are not feeling yourself, you know, which people can probably ask themselves? Uh, I usually, if I'm not feeling myself, I would, I would probably need some time to sit down and just to reflect uh, what is going on. Why is it going on? Is it transient? Is it something that can be fixed with just taking some time off or is it something deeper and it requires like solving certain problems and uh, or is it just me being uh, human and occasionally not being my best self so there are there are different ways usually i'm okay with passing moods and then again you you, you mentioned emotional literacy we need to be emotional literate because 
We, we don't always even notice that we feel emotions. We don't understand the difference between an emotion, which is uh, just um, just a fleeting feeling, something superficial or, or let's say, a mood or, or something more intense. We, we just live in this brown soup of nothingness. So uh, I'm quite uh, sharp with my emotions after all these years, obviously. <laughs> So if it's if it's just something passing, it's fine. It doesn't bug me, and I can I can be grumpy, and then I I'll feel guilty, and then I'll say, come and say like sorry, I shouldn't have been like this. But uh, but the emotions which I don't enjoy too much are anxieties because they're much more deep rooted and they are not usually as easily passing, and and emotions which are bordering on states like depression, apathy. These are the ones which uh, which trigger the red flags and make me. <laughs> make me take more extreme measures. Everything else. So uh, now that we were talking about emotional literacy, you know, how can one start developing more of emotional literacy and what that looks like? I would say that there is a lot of literature actually in psychology, particularly. One of my favorite authors is uh, Susan David. I've referred to her for several years now. Uh, she has a book called um, Emotional Agility, which is a really good place to start with. But literally, like if we had the basic course of psychology, like proper behavioral psychology <laughs> in school, uh, even for two, three years, like we had the courses in physics and chemi- chemistry and whatnot, I think uh, that would make humanity a much, <laughs> much happier lot of creatures. It's, you know, it's, it's not a rocket science. It's, everything is not there. A few topics which I enjoy is obviously emotional literacy. There's, there are a lot of people who research that. Another one is, um, I, I might butcher her name, Karen McLaren. She's really good on emotions, uh, but I might might have butchered her name a little bit. And obviously, Susan David. I mean, just just be curious, ask questions. Uh, when you start um, asking questions, you will find the answers. You can research happiness. You can research self love. You can research self worth, confidence, whatever it is, and it will start the path. You know, it's like a domino effect. You start somewhere, and then my interest in all of that started in a very unusual place. My son was diagnosed with Asperger's, and I had to go to a course to understand the condition. And then I realized that I really love that topic, and then I started reading. So whatever triggers you, but I strongly recommend studying it. It's very practical science. So what becoming flossom look like after you have, let's say, you know, embarked on this journey and when you are not beating yourself or not pushing it under the rug, what the phase looks like? And of course, like it's not that, oh, you know what, you are here now. After this, you will be on the other side of it. It's, it's, it's a continuous journey. But what being on that constant journey look like, feel like? It feels like being human, <laughs> like being really human and, and just in all, all, all the human glory. I think that being authentic and being flawsome is in essence the same. Because if you're authentic, you usually are at peace with your dragons. And that makes you flawsome. Because flawsome is in essence being at peace with your imperfections. Now, how it looks like, it looks like, uh, you know, like a good movie where you live your life, things happen to you and you live them fully and you're at peace with that experience. You live them fully and then you make peace with them and then you move on. Yeah. It's not just the bad things that happen, you know, it's good things as well, but you experience them. You experience your life as a juicy thing, not as this constant fight and struggle for something and and a rat race and hamster's wheel and whatnot, but you actually uh, learn to value the humanness of every single experience. You know, I... A year ago, when uh, the war started uh, in, uh, on our doorstep, you know, when Russia attacked Ukraine, 
because uh, because there was a huge danger of, I mean, I live in Estonia, so obviously we felt all, uh, too close to it. And there was this huge danger of, uh, of nuclear attack, which would have ended all life on Earth, probably. And uh, I remember we came from, from a holiday with my children and I felt intense fear for them because I had just moved uh, back to Europe from Malaysia and I felt had I made a mistake because I did it out of best intentions, but now I'm so close to intense danger. And I realized that I was afraid every single day. It was, it was just so scary because you would wake up, uh, go for the news and wonder, if, you know, is it all going to end abruptly and violently? But until one moment, I realized that there is no certainty anyway. And the only thing you can do in that kind of uncertainty, in that kind of intense uncertainty, is just be grateful for that very moment, which is right there. With, with your children, with your, with your loved ones, with your family. Uh, and that was like a wake-up call uh, to just realize that there is no better tomorrow. There's just this very moment. And I know it's a little too philosophical, but it's the result of you coming to peace with yourself as well. I think you are better equipped to deal with such scenarios. You are better equipped to deal with the fears uh, that you're feeling. Not running away from it, but you are just equipping yourself with the tools to better deal with it. You can't control the circumstances that happen in your life. You know, going back to Gandalf, we're not, we don't get to choose the times or the country where we're born in, for example. And I was born in the Soviet Union, by the way. But the only thing you have control over is yourself. And you're your biggest support. And for you to be your biggest support, you really need to learn to be kind to yourself. Because if you are your biggest critic, and that's most of us, especially perfectionists, then the only place where you can always, always, you should always find love, support, admiration, respect. The only place is yourself. If you can't give it to yourself, then where, where are you going to look for it? Great. So in your book, you also talk about aligned lifestyle habits. What are those and how does one cultivate them? The idea that comes to me right now would be, if you can replace judgment with curiosity, that would be a good start. I would like to leave with one because, I mean, if I give you, if I give you a recipe, it will be a little bit too long. And I generally don't believe in... Um, Absolute. So I don't think that there is one good advice for all the for, for all the circumstances in life. If I've learned anything in 20 years in personal growth is that advice has to come in the right time and in the right circumstances. And if you give it in the wrong time, it may be at best disregarded. And uh, in a more likely and more serious scenario, it would be misapplied and probably not bring the results that you Yeah, you were looking for. Uh, that's why we have a lot of people who are lost. They've been in personal growth for a long time, but they, they get lost in all of that. You have to have your advices in the right time. So that's why I'm not a huge fan of giving advice, but that one little hint or that one little idea that you replace judgment with curiosity about yourself, but about the world as well. You know, rather than seeing some, someone and saying like, oh, but they are, I do not know something, uh, but they're crook or they, they, they are manipulator or they, uh, you know, they're not, uh, they're inauthentic, not vulnerable enough. Rather than judging others, be curious. Oh, I wonder why they behave like this. I wonder what they have been through, you know, but the same way about yourself, just replace judgment with curiosity. Not that, oh, you're always such a failure. Oh, I can't focus. Oh, I'm not motivated. Whatever it is. Why do I feel like this? So replace curiosity. Not only is it more enjoyable journey, but it is also going to create much more transformation than any kind of judgment and self-criticism. I love that. So before I let you go, the other topic now, you mentioned vulnerability, and that is one of the things that I want to have conversation with you. 
I felt that, you know, being vulnerable is is something that, you know, there's nothing called being overtly vulnerable. So can you share what do you mean by saying like being overly vulnerable and how does one balance between being vulnerable at the same time not being too much up? Well, vulnerability is a very classical buzzword. I don't talk about it a lot. So for people who are listening, I would suggest actually researching Brene Brown, who is the queen of vulnerability. She's the one who started researching shame and ended up with vulnerability. She's the one who says that uh, being too vulnerable is not being vulnerable. It's actually, I think she's she's calling it floodlighting or something like that. So in essence, uh, her, her idea is that sometimes we overshare uh, as an escape from truly, uh, you know, truly being vulnerable. But I, as I said, it's not, it's not uh, directly my topic of research and my topic of interest. For me, uh, vulnerability is not really that important. What is important for me is authenticity. Uh, vulnerability is just an expression of some people. Uh, and of course, there is a level of vulnerability that we all have to be comfortable with because we are vulnerable in relationships with other people, usually. That's, that's the, the, the most common application of being vulnerable. So for example, if you are starting any kind of relationship, whether it's love relationship, or even if you're starting a relationship with your children when they're born, you are, uh, of course, you probably are going to be vulnerable in those relationships and should be at peace with that idea. <laughs> now, uh, it's not an area of my study because I don't think it's, uh, it's, a, it's really a prerequisite to your self-love because vulnerability is a relationship, your relationship with the outside. So now my, my study is your relationship with yourself, which is why I don't work on vulnerability. But it is, vulnerability is a prerequisite for forming strong connections. Again, this is Brené Brown. So you, you would do well if you, if you are uh, at peace with that, uh, with that aspect. But what I do talk about, though, is that we misunderstand what it is. And we very often tyrannize people about their vulnerability. Again, I will refer to Brené Brown because she's the one who's researching it. She says that being vulnerable means, means having courage to do something when uh, the outcome is uncertain. These are the two components having courage to do something or bravely doing something and the uncertainty. Now, when these two conditions uh, apply, depends very much on circumstances. So a lot of the times the way, because it's a huge buzzword, a lot of the times the way we understand vulnerability is sharing something very personal with other people. And that, that as a form of action or as a, an, as a certain behavior, there's no guarantee it's vulnerable because, for example, as a speaker, I've shared personal stories, which might be shameful to share, but I know exactly the kind of reaction they are eliciting in my audience. So when I share those stories, I'm not being vulnerable, although I may be sharing something personal, but I'm not being vulnerable because I know exactly the outcome and I'm doing it to elicit that certain um, outcome. So that's not vulnerability. That's in essence manipulation. So I am not, as I said, it's not really my study of research, but if you are curious about that, I would strongly recommend that you go beyond the facade into the essence of the phenomenon. Because when you understand the essence of the phenomenon, you won't get confused or distracted by the facade. You know, when an actor is on stage, they can cry very believably. And when children need something, they can also uh, throw tantrums very believably. And so do grown-ups, by the way. And very often we do that not as uh, an act of vulnerability. So uh, when is it too much? Any time when it's not called for or 
you know, unexpected. It's too much when it is a, a prerequisite, like in, in, in creating strong human connections, then, I mean, if, what's the purpose of your interaction? If you want to, if you want to understand a person, sometimes you might need to be vulnerable with that person. If you want to start a relationship or if you're saying someone to someone that you love them, you're probably vulnerable. But if that person, if that person wants that relationship, that vulnerability leads to a certain outcome. And then you dance like in any relationship. Is it too much? Is it too little? But now if the person says, I'm not interested and you keep blasting them with how much you love them, is that, is that being vulnerable? Is that being silly? Or maybe that's being something worse, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to get what you want at all costs. I do not know. So I would, I would suggest. As I said, since I don't research that, I don't have the ready answers for you, but I would suggest that you look, look beyond the facade. You ask yourself the question all the time. Why? why? Why are you doing that? What's the purpose? What's the goal? And remember that vulnerability is about the uncertainty, courage and the uncertainty. If there's no uncertainty, like when I jumped out of the plane with a parachute, is it, of course I was vulnerable because for me it was uncertain. But is it uncertain or is it just being brave to do something crazy, knowing that you will probably survive? Yet, if you're calling, if you've done blood tests and you're calling your doctor and you're worried about the results, that's the uncertainty. There could be a death, you know? So picking up a phone may be more vulnerable act than jumping out of the plane. Cracking a joke may be more vulnerable than shedding a tear in certain circumstances. So what I in, encourage you to do is remember what it actually is. It's uh, courage plus uncertainty. Look beyond the facade and ask yourself the question, why? What's the purpose? Then you won't overdo it. I'm quite sure. <laughs> On that note, Christina, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us today. Personally, for me, there are a lot of things to reflect upon and go back and think about. And I'm sure uh, you know, somebody who's listening to this have a lot of takeaways to take from this conversation. Thank you so much for everything that you do to encourage people to be more authentic, to encourage people to be flossom. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed listening to this, I want you to do two things for me. Number one, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe to the podcast and give five-star ratings. This will help me attract more listeners to this podcast and take this information to a wider audience so that we can help more people grow in their life. And second, share this episode with at least three people in your network who you think need to hear this episode. You never know, just by sharing this episode, you can help them transform their life. Be that person who helps other grow in their life. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.